What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 68. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Oh, it's going pretty well. Uh, I'm sad to say that I'm officially out of apple cider. Those that heard from the last few episodes know I'm a big fan of fall stuff. I uh, I had three, no, sorry, four full gallon jugs in my fridge during that episode, and now I have none. So, I don't know, man. Uh, I think I got around to the store. C- can we record later? Yikes. Uh, why don't Why don't we just record while you're on your way to the store? I think that'll be fine. <laughs> what is What is yeah, quality um, production? Well, that's the thing. I, I think our listeners have come to expect a certain level of quality, and and also a certain lack thereof, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, certain, that, that's what I'm saying. Um, we're ta- we're actually talking about a pretty high quality topic this week, uh, I- instead of the usual nonsense. So I think if there's a lack in audio quality, that'll actually kind of balance out with the increase in quality of of, uh, of content. We 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 don't set the bar low. We set the bar low and then pleasantly surprise them. There you go. There you go. This week we're actually doing something a little bit different, as Ben mentioned. We're talking about self-correction and the self-correcting nature of draft as as a format, really. We got a little bit of a deep dive in on that, but before we get into that, our usual housekeeping, of course. We do have a Discord server. It's completely free. If you're not already in that, definitely check it out. It's a great place to be. We've got a few new members in there this week, so really cool to see all you folks jumping in. It's just a great place to go, and Ben and I try to spend as much time in there as we can, so uh, if you want to talk to us outside of the show and such, uh, that's a good place to do it. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful and can't thank you enough. So thanks again to all of you folks. We do have a bunch of perks there, including uh, our draft doctor, which we just recorded one of. And uh, that is sort of where we go through a, a draft log that you can send us and we will go through the entire draft together and talk through our picks, what we agree with, what we disagree with, uh, with your picks, and then finally build the deck and show that on video on our YouTube channel. So that's a great perk there. We also have stickers, show notes, unedited versions of the show, and uh, we send out our Draft Chaff Hero cards to all of our patrons as well. So uh, check that out. We haven't announced yet our Draft Chaff Hero for Midnight Hunt, but that is coming, don't you worry. Um, And again, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff Pod. Just as a reminder, the uh, the draft doctors have been pretty fun for us to record. We, we want to get some more of these. Uh, that is at the ten a month Patreon level. So I don't know what is that like uh, like two coffees in a month. You know, just yeah. just skip your two coffees uh, and and uh, I don't know. Send us some spicy drafts rather than drinking something spicy. Pumpkin spice. Oh my god, we we're already talking about spicy. Wait, spice spice drinks, spicy drinks. Never mind. Uh, th- this isn't a food podcast. Go, go listen to someone else for that. L- let's talk some magic. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a crack draft type thing. Walk us through it. Right now, this is one that I found uh, interesting. So I pack one, pick one. Uh, I took a Covert Cup Purse. Solid little black card. You don't often cast it for its, I guess, ETB destroy target thing that was dealt damage. People are kind of hesitant to block in this format, especially when a lot of the decayed tokens go away. There's racing happening pretty often. And there's some combat tricks that can punish uh, a blocking something like a, a decayed token. So I was pretty happy with my pack one, pick one here. Now, I actually want to focus on pack one, pick two, because I was past a rather interesting pack. Starting with the commons, I was past a uh, Timberland Guide, Snarling Wolf, uh, Shadow Beast Sighting, Bird Admirer, Stolen Vitality, Abandon the Post, Eaten Alive, Blade Brand, and the old classic Organ Hoarder. Now, wait, 
But that means the common's missing. Uh-huh. A common is missing. And it was an organ hoarder. <laughs> I, I'm beat, dude. I don't know. What, what was it? Yeah, I really have no idea. It, I can't imagine there was a second organ, organ hoarder in the pack, right? Like, that's not how packs are curated. <laughs> Foil organ hoarder. <laughs> Can you actually um, open two copies of the same card in the same pack? Uh, ignoring, like, foil rares and stuff? No, I, I don't think it happens. Um, what, maybe, like, a Defenestrate? Or, I don't know. Like, I, I, I've got nothing. My only guess here is that it's either something completely weird that we aren't thinking of, or it's maybe a less informed drafter maybe mm -hmm. sitting totally possible thing. now i thought a similar thing until i saw what was left in the pack field of ruin don't hurt mentor it's just fine whatever beloved beggar also just fine whatever a rare briarbridge tracker it's no tireless tracker but this is a pretty good tracker to have i love briarbridge tracker it is a guaranteed two for one uh, and then it leaves behind a 2-3 Vigilance body that can eventually go back to being a 4-3 if you can ever find another token. Of course, there's plenty of tokens in the set. Just get a Decayed token. Uh, I'm a big fan of Briarbridge Tracker. And I don't know. Someone took something out of this pack that wasn't Briarbridge Tracker. It wasn't Organ Hoarder. And it wasn't Eaten Alive. <laughs> I, was, I was a little perplexed by this one. Yeah, there's also a Shadow Beast Shadow Bee sighting sitting in that pack. Not that that's really in contention with those other three cards you just named, but yeah, this is perplexing for sure. I think I probably would also just be on the Briarbridge tracker, but given, I don't know, Organ Hoarder is also just really good. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, Organ Hoarder is a little more mana efficient if you think about it, but I don't know. Uh, Briarbridge tracker, I have a bit of a soft spot for black green, I'll admit. And I don't want to say I'm anti-blue. I will take good blue cards and play them when possible. But given my current knowledge of the format, I don't know. I, I was thinking maybe the person to our right might be trying to force something. They might be trying to do some shenanigans. I mean, just passing an organ hoarder and a Briarbridge tracker. I don't know. Something, something seemed a little weird about it. But Briarbridge tracker and organ hoarder, they act very functionally similar. So I took the tracker, although I could have taken the hoarder here and wound up in blue-black. I did wind up in black-green, and I, I, I think I read the signals correctly. Something that I think goes underrated sometimes, maybe this was a slightly less experienced drafter. They might just not like green cards. They might just say, oh, I opened a green rare. I don't want that. Get it out of here. Maybe they took a, a white card that they thought was cool, like a white common, something like a Lunarong veteran or something like that. I am not one to pass up a nice rare draft, so I, I took the Briarbridge tracker here. Wound up in a pretty sweet black-green deck. I think I went 2-1 and one with it. Nice. On to our Teferi Tybalt. This is our Roses and Thorns section. Basically, Ben and I share a high and a low from each week. And you know what, Ben? You almost always do the, do the, the Teferi Tybalt first. I'm going to take it this week. I was, gonna, I was actually thinking about that. I think it's about time, um, you know, uh, I, I guess we're, you know, equal co-hosts, so to Something speak. Like so I, I suppose you can go first. Uh, I'll allow. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Hey, I'm the one who allows things. I'm the blue mage. Uh, I'll allow it anyway. Right, I'll allow fair. that too. <laughs> all right. So my, my theory this week is that I actually had a fantastic weekend. It's been a long time since I had a weekend where I was able to just do like what I actually wanted to do. And it wasn't like moving or or trying to get the house situated or the apartment unpacked or you know whatever so this weekend my wife and i went to central park in in manhattan and we had a picnic just in the middle of the grass there and it was phenomenal it was an amazing day just super sunny very nice kind of moderate temperature it wasn't very hot but also didn't need like a coat it was just it was just amazing and then we went did some clothes shopping and stuff 
so that was fantastic. And then the day after, we went apple picking. My wife and I and Ben and his girlfriend, and we, well, we just had a great time. I mean, we, we picked some apples. It was actually a lot more than I think we originally intended it to be because oh, yeah. it also yeah. included like a hayride, and we got to pick pumpkins and apples and all sorts of stuff. Uh, you can see a fun Twitter thread on that whole thing, uh, the, the apple picking that is with some of the uh, magic pros in the space chiming in oh, as they well. They weighed so. in all right. They had some, some pretty solid opinions. Indeed, indeed. The other part of my Teferi is that I actually started kickboxing this week. There's a, a kickboxing gym not too far from my apartment. It's like maybe a five-minute walk. And so I've been going in the morning, and I've never been a morning workout person. Like, mm. I'm not the type of person who typically can get up and go to the gym in the morning. But I figure because this is like a class scenario, it's like a, a it's not just one-on-one, and I'm not just doing it by myself, but there's like a bunch of people involved. I figure it might be harder for me to go at night, and I've been doing some reading and, you know, all sorts of stuff, and, and just decided let's give it a go in the morning. And I've been really enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. I'm really sore, though, and that's my tibble. Uh, <laughs> I've only done two classes so far, and it is kicking my butt. I did not realize. Like, I'm sore in places I didn't know you could be sore. I didn't realize how out of shape I was. So it's good. I'm excited to continue doing it, but I'm I'm feeling it right now. I don't want to say that you signed up for it, but... But I literally <laughs> did, yes. Yeah, no, that, that's sweet. What, what time do you have to get up in the morning for that? So the cool part is because it's so close, I don't actually have to change my morning schedule at all. I get up at seven o'clock just as I always do. And the class is at seven thirty. So I just throw on some workout clothes and I walk down to the gym. Man, that sounds nice. Well, as soon as you start taking your first punches to the head, uh, I start teaching in the morning. I wish sometimes that I had a little more time in the morning before work started. But, you know, I suppose I signed myself up for that too, didn't I? Indeed. So my Teferi, uh, Wait a minute. You're telling me that you were in New York City on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, no, actually, we were walking. Hannah and I were walking to, I think, the Doc Martin store or something. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Ben is in New York right now. <laughs> It'd be f- hilarious if we like ran into each other. But you might have been at a different part of town than I was. I'm not sure. Dude, I was at the Met Cloisters. I was literally like 20 blocks away from you. Nice. <laughs> in fact, after going through the Met Cloisters... Uh, I went to some housewarming parties down over, I want to say, like, I think just a few blocks east of Central Park. Like, we took a cab uh, across Central Park. So, I don't know, man. We, we, we were probably within proximity. Now, that would have been really funny if I had hunted you down in New York City. That would have topped my, my previous uh, hunt downs. Indeed. Indeed. Well, anyway, I, I had a great time at that. Uh, now that my friends and I are all vaccinated, they're all starting to you know get back into the world a little bit. It's been nice to see some of them. I was able to see a few that I hadn't seen in a long time. Some friends from my old singing group. We, we sang some good songs together and uh, had, had a great time going out and hanging out. Just kind of doing the, the usual New York City nightlife thing, and it, it's nice to be back, I guess. Glad to be in a place where we're privileged enough to do that, I suppose. Uh, actually, another Teferi that I had, of course, apple picking was awesome, and we got to do some great stuff. I, I love all the, the good fall things, but another thing that we've been doing, uh, in school, I've had some people playing Magic. Uh, I've had a few students. Some of them came up and were asking, like, oh, what are these cards? What's going on here? And we've kind of uh, we've got our own corner in the games club that meets after school now. And uh, we had a nice we had a five player game today. I think it's called like Magic at Home or Magic Box. It's some like Wizards sanctioned set of five intro packs. They're super basic, monocolored, uh, but we just set ourselves up in a pentagon and uh, and played some <laughs> some uh, some weird five player magic. But uh, the people that were new, they got the hang of it and they, they seem to be having a great time. 
another Teferi, I'm going to be streaming tomorrow, which rarely happens. It's a, a bit of a treat for, I guess, me and uh, Zach, if you can make it. And uh, for all of you, you get to decide if it's a treat or not. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to be streaming my uh, qualifier sealed deck. It's going to be Midnight Hunt sealed, and I'm very excited for that. My Tybalt, school's been tough. Some classes have been rough. Students that enjoy disrupting class, um, and it's it's sometimes hard to make a connection with students that don't really want to be there in the first place. So, you know, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome teaching is is getting to know your students. And once they like you, they'll they'll do any kind of work that you ask them to do. But sometimes it's it's hard to break over that that first barrier in, in groups that have high needs. So excited to, to take a break this weekend from the, the rush of school. All right. Well, sweet. Let's get on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Koga, who's a longtime listener. The question is pretty meta, actually. I, I like this question a lot. The question is, how long do you spend preparing for, recording, and editing a typical episode? This one has some practical applications. A friend and I are considering starting a storybook brawl podcast and want to get a sense of what the time commitment will be. Oh. First of all, very cool. Starting a podcast is not the easiest thing to do. Or moving from like the ideation to actually doing it. Like, <laughs> you know, doing anything is difficult. So... Uh, mm-hmm. Good for you for figuring that out. And Storybook Brawl is a fantastic game. So let us know if you actually do that because I'll definitely listen. That said, having a partner helps a lot in that I don't know how other shows handle this, but like Ben and I split the work relatively equally. I typically do the editing and I handle all the recording side stuff. The recordings, I mean, if you get an hour episode, our recording is probably close to an hour and 20 hour and 30 minutes of recording time. Yeah. And then editing takes anywhere from the same amount of time to like two hours, depending on how tight you want the edit to be. This was actually something we we've never actually talked about this on the show, but we briefly did a stint with a, with a guest editor where I was no longer editing the show and we had somebody editing and that person was alias V, which was super (laughs) cool. And alias actually edited much tighter than I was at the time. And having heard her edits, I decided to start editing more tightly. So (laughs) I don't know if that's actually been noticed, but I have been spending more time on the edits lately because of that. Um, So yeah, typically it's about like 1 to 1.25 times the episode length, I guess. Um, That's kind of, would be my guess. I don't don't typically time myself when I record or when I edit rather. And then Ben does most of the show notes. So you can talk to that more better than I can. Well, first of all, I, I sometimes feel sorry for Zach that he has to listen to all of our nonsense over again. Uh, but I should thank you for always editing out my um, hour to two hour long rants. Uh, I think it's probably for the best. Those have been cut and locked away in the secret Google Drive that we have uh, that maybe someday we'll share with the public. Oh, but, you know, our patrons get behind the scenes looks and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe they can fish around, see if they can find those. Uh, it's probably best that some of those don't see the light of day. Important state secrets and whatnot. As for the preparation, I usually spend, I want to say, two days or so, uh, I guess, thinking about <laughs> what the topic is going to be and deciding, you know, what is currently applicable, what is kind of in right now. Sometimes the shows write themselves, right? Ones like the format breakdown or our first impressions. Uh, and it, I found it really useful to have uh, repetitive topics, stuff like our draft shaft hero that we've kind of made our own. Uh, so maybe finding something like that, something that's unique but repetitive. It can be pretty good for for filling out your episodes because uh, the worst thing to have happen is to come to a point and say, I have no idea what we're doing this week and we are recording today. Which has happened. That that hasn't happened much recently. 
True. Uh, it, is, it has happened not very much recently because we have this this nice spread of ideas to build from. We also, and, I mean, there were also a couple of, I guess, organizational slash preparatory things that we started to implement because we got to about the three quarters of a year mark and realized like we were still having the situation where Monday or Tuesday would roll around and we record on Wednesdays and like the show notes weren't written. Like we knew the topic, but the show notes weren't written yet. And a lot of times that would get us to like, oh crap, it's Wednesday morning and the show notes aren't finished. We should really do that because both of us work full-time jobs. Like this isn't, this is just like a, a little thing we do on the side, which we love and has turned into something much bigger than we expected it to. But yeah, um, we <laughs> did have to take, yeah, we had to take some steps to make sure that it was easier on us than it had been. One of those things was making a clean, and this is all on Ben, but making a clean, concise, templated version of our show notes so we can very easily just plop in the ideas. We have like all of our segments kind of sectioned out in the show notes and such. And that has helped a lot in terms of saving time because we don't have to reformat the, the document every single episode, <laughs> which we were doing for a while. Um, and then on top of that, we also decided like we try to do this on a per set basis. The nature of our show means that, you know, our content kind of revolves around what set is current. Um, and so we, we do this every set or so um, when we can. And that is just take like a two hour time block to prep for the, the upcoming set like here are the, all the episodes we're going to do uh here's when the next set releases so we know how many episodes we have between sets to, to cover uh here are like a bunch of topic ideas that we want to do at some point let's schedule those out so we have on the calendar like okay this day we're doing this episode things like that it's not always like 100 complete at the end of that meeting but it gives us a great understanding of where we're headed that that season so to speak and has helped a lot as well in terms of just figuring out what we're doing and making sure we don't run into holes where it's the day of recording and we don't know what we're recording. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're interested, I'd be happy to share the template that we use. I, I will send you this episode's show notes. I don't really care. <laughs> Why not? Well, thanks for the question. That was, that was a really cool one. We haven't actually talked very much meta about the, the show. And, you know, maybe we should do a Q&A episode sometime soon. It's been a little while since we've done one of those, so... Speaking of which, uh, that's one thing that we can't control, the listener questions. So keep those things flowing. We love when we have a, a few listener questions and a backlog because sometimes uh, that's the one thing that, that we might have to scramble for. We're like, oh, uh, well, are, are there any questions this week? And feel free to ask us random stuff, stuff that's just one you're wondering on your minds. We will answer the most uh, nonsensical questions you have. That's just what we do on this show. Uh, the Indeed. more nonsensical, the better. Yeah, and if you haven't heard before, you're like, listener questions, what the heck? Like, I know you guys do this, but where the heck do we get them? There's a channel for that in the Discord, so check that out. If you're not in the Discord, that's another reason to be there. Now, on to our main topic this week. This is one that I am super excited for. Likewise. Know thyself correction. So what exactly are we talking about, Zach? Right, so we often talk about the idea of draft being a self-correcting format, but that's usually the end of the conversation. Like nobody really goes into what that actually means and what self-correcting means in terms of draft. So we're going to kind of build up to this idea. The topic tends to get brought up when a certain deck is dominating a format, say, I don't know, a a blue black deck that happens to feature a lot of zombies is like really popular (laughs) or something. And everybody's trying to draft it or Mm -hmm. a deck revolving around a random card. uh, I don't know, something like, let's just make up a card here. Zenith flare, for instance, Uh, you know, (laughs) And maybe it has a bunch of cyclers or something. And the deck just kind of goes out and is crushing it in trophy logs and all sorts of stuff. 
that's when people tend to say like, oh, well, draft self-correcting. So, you know, this won't last forever or something of that nature, but nobody really goes into the details. So let's kind of dive into that. Let's talk about self-correction, how the format is self-correcting, what that even means and how, what we should do about that. The first things first, let's address the, I guess, uh, giant zombified undead elephant in the room. Is it bad for a format to have a best deck? Yeah, that's a great, I mean, that's a great place to start and it's a great question. I think there is a lot to go into with this sort of question. And I think that the, you know, potential long answer kind of boils down to, you know, almost another question. Like, is it avoidable? Can a, can a format go without having a best deck, like a single best deck? And I think it is avoidable in most scenarios, but I don't think that it's 100% avoidable in that I think most formats will have a best deck. And then the second best deck might be like a few percentage points behind. So it's not like this best deck eclipses the rest of the format. Whereas like what we're seeing now with Midnight Hunt is that the best deck pretty much eclipses everything else. Like win rate wise, it's pretty evident that Blue Black Zombies is the best deck in the format and there are reasons to force it. And we saw the same in AFR with Black Red Sack. Like you could just force that deck and if you did, you were basically never losing. So sometimes the answer to this question is yes, uh, it is bad to have the worst deck because it can create, you know, terrible, just unfun matchups. The ultimate goal here is that we're, it's a game, right? We're trying to have fun, but game design can be hard when some strategies get invalidated, such as, I don't know, blue red dice rolling or some maybe some strategies in, in this set uh, we haven't seen. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess green black kind of got the the short end of the the stick again here just not that cohesive it's just a pile of cards or something like green red the titular werewolf like the format it's called midnight hunt it's about werewolves and the deck is just the worst in the format it just can't compete it's entirely invalidated by the strength of this blue black deck so maybe the answer is no Maybe this is just part of game design. Maybe this is bound to happen. I mean, statistically, there's always going to be a deck that has the highest win percentage. Maybe it's close, but, you know, you can always dig into numbers. Uh, there's no such thing as perfect balance in a format. I think the real answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right? It's probably more yeah. like a kinda. It's all right to have a best deck, but not one that invalidates other strategies entirely. Now, this can often work itself out because of the nature of drafting. So when one deck becomes widely known as strong more people will try to draft it, right? They'll try to pick up the cards that they see their favorite streamers drafting and having success with. Or they'll see an article that gets put out that says blue-black is good, take organ hoarder, and then a bunch of people will start taking organ hoarder. Now, the more people try to draft it, the less available the cards tend to be in the packs. And then the more available, the better cards become in other colors. And I think there's something we need to talk about here briefly that is like a, a higher level, kind of even a maybe a, a rule zero question, as it were. Okay. Not only do we need to ask, like, is it bad for a format to have a best deck, but is it bad now? Because if you look back at, like, original Innistrad, where spider spawning was, like, the deck to beat, and if you got it, it worked, and you were just gonna steamroll your opponents. The thing was, back then, there was very little way for the whole world to find out that the spider spawning deck was the deck to beat, unless you just played against it a bunch. People needed to kind of stumble into it, and it took weeks and weeks for people to figure that kind of thing out. Now it happens before the set releases. It happens before pre-release because it comes out on Arena a day before pre-releases and by the yeah. day of pre-release, the format's solved, or so it seems. So I think the question kind of shifts in today's socially 
connected world. Is it bad to have a deck that's super polarizing in this way when everybody can figure it out instantly? I guess it speeds up the problem, right? So it it, it, uh, it might not cause things to be solved, but it might cause it to be solved faster if it does. Maybe if the, the self-correcting is going to happen, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit, maybe if the format is going to recover from uh, the dominance of one deck, it would happen faster. Or if... Uh, the format is not going to be like resolved, then, you know, it might just stay bad for a while. And that's where people probably start having less fun. So I guess it depends on the set design. So I guess Wizards, a lot of the burden lays on on the design of the cards themselves and the design of the format. Maybe uh, the the, the balances out faster, right? Or maybe it it ends up uh, taking, uh, just never getting balanced at all. Yeah, I guess that's also the flip side to that coin, right? Like, with social media, we, we find out about these broken decks or, or best archetypes or whatever much faster than we would have previously. But that also means that solutions to those problems can be circled around, cycled around much faster as well. And so maybe back then, like, it took a lot longer to find the problem. And then maybe it took long enough that by the time you found the problem, the format was over. So you didn't have to, like, the, that part of self-correction didn't need to be there. Yeah. Whereas now we, we kind of get burned out with a set, even really good sets, in like a week or two. So what we mentioned about the way people will tend to pick up the cards that are part of the best deck, it's kind of just the the natural, you hear blue-black is the best, you want to start taking some blue-black cards, this will cause other people to maybe, I don't know, maybe they see blue-black is cut every draft, so they start taking green and white cards. And then this leads to stronger green and white decks and weaker blue-black decks, or or in a general case, stronger non-top decks and weaker top decks, causing the metagame to what we call self-correct. Because then, people with non-blue-black decks will start beating the people with the mediocre blue-black decks, and the people with the blue-black decks will be like, well, wait a minute, this wasn't that good after all. I just got schooled by by green-white. And then in their future, they'll think of uh, that time and maybe they'll pick a green card slightly higher than they did before or a white card slightly higher than they did before when they see that that strategy is more open and available. Now, notably, this only happens when humans draft. This does not happen in quick draft with bots. On average, um, the speed of self-correction, like you mentioned, definitely has increased since the older days of draft. We just have so much content. I guess we're, we're guilty of that ourselves. Um, we can just get the word out about busted decks faster. So I suppose it kind of exacerbates the problem, right? If the format is going to recover, it probably tends to happen faster. And if it's not going to recover, then I think that's what AFR was, right? Yeah. And basically, you know, that's that's when you run into a problem where it's like, okay, I mean, this is just the deck that everybody's going to play. And now nobody wants to play the format because who wants to play against the same thing over and over and with the same thing over and over and over again? I mean, you kind of play limited, so you don't have to build a constructed deck, right? So, you know, that's that's kind of part of that, too. So, objectively speaking, every format has a, quote-unquote, by-the-numbers best deck, right? As Ben mentioned before, statistically speaking, there will be one deck with, like, a higher percentage point. Maybe it's .001 of a percent or whatever, but it will be higher than all the rest. But the question then is, why is it sometimes more pronounced than others? Like, why do we see this be more prominent in certain formats than others? Because a lot of formats, you don't even you go through the whole format and don't even realize, like, oh, there's a best deck. Or it's just so marginally close that, well, draft any of these three vectors and you'll be fine, you know? But some of the big reasons why a format might take some time to adjust in this way is that, A, the deck might just be extremely deep and strong color-wise. 
that's that's blue black zombies the deck might function around a single card the presence of which allows anyone to force it that would be zenith flare and it also might be early in the format and people are still kind of testing other builds or cards are not not yet played with like some of the rares haven't been touched or we're not we're just we're just kind of balancing the scales we're just trying to figure out what's what and nothing is broken out just yet now sometimes you'll also see the pros tweeting that Maybe they're forcing a certain color pair until they're no longer able to, like blue-black. That was going around in this format in particular. Now, these people tend to have a very solid read on the format and are probably drafting several times a week, if not several times a day. This gives them a constantly updating understanding of the metagame. So this kind of strategy can work for for some reasons pro level players might just have excellent gameplay skills maybe they leverage their tougher drafts better maybe their their okay blue black deck still overperformed because they have very high gameplay skills to kind of offset their their okay draft this is a, a little bit of a resetter for me when i draft a deck because i have the know-how from a just analyzing the format perspective and like we've done a lot of drafts so we kind of know what's up in terms of of what archetypes are good and things like that and you know when you know an archetype and you know what makes a vector tick and what puts a vector in a certain direction you know what cards kind of should go into that and play into that vector and so you can see okay i've got i've got the blue black deck right like i've got all the good cards i ever need this is the best version of this deck and then you go I don't know, four, three or something. You don't trophy with it. And it's like kind of a mediocre run and for, for that deck. And that for me, when I see that happen, I'm like, okay, my play needs work because I just drafted an amazing deck, but it didn't do that well. That tells me because I know that the deck was really good based on my other like preconceived understandings of magic and, and my experience with drafting. I know my play needs, needs some work. Sorry. That was a bit of an aside, but it is something that, that I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, good, good points. Sometimes the pros can also be a little bit better at vector theory in a way. They can be able to spot the key cards uh, in an archetype and have a better read of a deck's functionality maybe than the, the general populace. And sometimes the format simply takes time to self-correct and somebody that's drafting a million times will, will just kind of grasp the format faster. Some of you may be thinking, well, should I be forcing blue-black or should I be forcing a, a deck that is the deck to beat right now? Do it at your own risk. One exception is quick draft, where it is by definition not self-correcting, right? The bots are not like people. They will not pick up on the subtleties of gameplay because the bots just draft. They don't actually even play games. Uh, They don't adapt. They have to be updated by people, and that sometimes doesn't happen for weeks. This is why AFR quick draft was even more black-red heavy than normal uh, AFR draft. It was objectively correct to force it there. Sometimes it won't work. Sometimes you'll... Try to force it and get cut and things will go very poorly. But I don't know. Sometimes uh, it is correct to do so. All right. So we've talked a little bit about what makes a format have these broken decks. We've talked a little bit about whether or not they should have them in the first place or if that's even something we can fix. We talked a little bit about the correcting, like actual self-correction in draft. So how do we apply that to Midnight Hunt right now? Because there is clearly a best deck in the format. So you hear that there's a best deck, what now? What are, what are you supposed to do about it? If it's absolutely correct to do so, you can try to force the deck, kind of become the problem, I guess, in a way. <laughs> but unless you feel pretty confident in your drafting abilities, this could wind up getting you in some pretty big messes because everybody else is trying to do the same thing as well. Do keep an eye out for the deck, though. I mean, it's a good reason. Like, if it's, it's a deck to beat for a good reason, and if you are getting the pieces for the deck, 
read your signals. Don't necessarily avoid it on purpose because you're like, oh, everybody else is trying to draft this. If you're getting past cards, take them. But don't put yourself in the position where you're forcing a deck outright that everybody else is trying to force because then, especially in a situation like Arena where you're not playing in a pod, because in that situation, you're not going to play against people who are in the same pod doing the same things. So the deck balance is not going to be there. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of an argument against best of one here. Uh, just by the very nature of it, people that have better decks will tend to play more games because they get to play seven games, whereas the the decks that do poorly end up falling out. So on average, I think you play against uh, slightly better decks than exist in the pool overall. Um, unless my my math is wrong, somebody correct me in the in the Discord. I'm sure we can uh, ping our our stats friends to <laughs> to correct me if that's not how that works. But uh, in that way, maybe you end up playing against more blue-black than you would otherwise. I've actually personally been really loving best of three here, and it's felt a little more normal, even though I, I guess uh, it shouldn't really matter. Uh, then again, in, in best of three, I'm not necessarily playing against people of my rank. Um, who, who knows? Anyway, the best answer in what to do for a, a format where there is a deck to beat just draft like normal. <laughs> and I know that might not be what you're looking for. Uh, so I'll say draft like normal, but pay closer attention. Be extra prepared to look for signals. Uh, maybe you see blue or black drying up very early in pack one as more people try to get the best deck. That's going to happen more often when there is a best deck. Uh, now is the fun option. And one of the inspirations that I had to, to come up with this topic, be an agent of self-correction. Become the self-correcting format. Uh, in my last six Midnight Hunt drafts, I actually haven't drafted blue once. And I believe I was 100% correct every single time. I don't think I was supposed to be blue any of those times. I do not think I was supposed to force it. Nothing like that. I just drafted as I normally would. I happened to notice some signals. I happened to see blue getting cut, blue drying up. People might be forcing it. Or maybe that's just how the packs broke. We can never say these things for sure. But I just happened to read my signals. I played as I, and drafted as I normally would. And uh, out of those last six drafts, two of them were trophies, and I went 27 and 13 in games. That's nearly 70% win rate, which is uh, around like, I don't know, 8 to 9% higher than I usually have win rate in games by the end of a format. And again, not a single one of these was blue-black. Uh, I, actually, I had mostly Obzon decks and a little bit of red here and there, but I have really been liking the Obzon color combinations. Uh, shocking. I would argue that I am being part of the self-correcting nature of draft. I mean, by going around crushing with non-blue decks, I, I'm kind of showing my opponents that, you know, they have to maybe consider some some reevaluations, or maybe even not reevaluate. I lost some games too. Uh, maybe they were playing blue and uh, they said, oh, well, uh, I just you know, lost because I had a bad hand or, or something like that. But they will know and they will think back to my pile of black, white commons and uncommons that trounce their green, white or, or uh, sorry, uh, blue, green, go over the top deck because I just kind of got in early and, and, and uh, played pretty tight. So, I mean, this can happen enough such that blue, black loses some overall percentage points in the deck leaderboards. I mean, I got hooked up with some pretty nice like, cards in my drafts because people pass me green rares like they did in in, uh, in, in the pack one or in the, in the cracker draft type thing, right? So if this just keeps happening, the draft will self-correct. And if I am to be an agent of the self-correcting format, so be it. And uh, I invite you all to do the same. Okay, that said, just like we're not saying to force blue-black, we're also not saying to force non-blue-black decks as well. The, the default should be going into a draft you're not 
trying to force anything right you you're you're going into the draft reading the signals and taking the cards as they come to you but the presence of a leader in a limited metagame can lead to people making rather well human decisions right like just kind of if it comes with you and then you're like well this is the best thing so i'm just going to take that but there have been some posts on various you know like magic subreddits of packs with missing commons and bomb rares left in the packs like we were talking before the show of or like a, a a picture where an organ hoarder was like clearly taken over Elisa, and that just I'm sorry I I don't really care how good the blue black deck is that doesn't sound correct. Yeah, uh, there was some discussion about this. I think the crack uh, the crack a pack on limited resources last week. I think it was Arlen Cord in the rare slot and organ hoarder or something or or like um so, so, something like that or organ hoarder or, or the. Uh, the hordes. It, it, it was something. The point was, it was a one of the key blue and black commons versus Arlen Cord, a very good card in the worst deck in the format. So I believe they were correct in taking Organ Hoarder uh, over uh, or whatever the card was over the Arlen Cord. There takes a lot of resolve, but you know it's probably the the percentage per, by percentage correct thing to do. But Lisa, like this card is awesome. Uh, th- this card, it, it provides immense card advantage, much more than Organ Hoarder can. Now, it's a gold card, but it is splashable. And White Black is a very nice deck in the format. It's uh, it's probably in the mid-tier. It's below Blue Black for sure, but you still have access to all the great black removal. And a lot of the strong white attacking creatures that pair super well with Lisa. I don't know. So so when I see a Lisa get passed and it's... Uh, seeing it pick two, and there's something like an organ hoarder missing from the pack, or there's a common that's missing that people are suspecting is organ hoarder. I don't know. I think sometimes they may have overcorrected. They may have uh, been trying to force blue-black <laughs> at pretty great cost to themselves. I mean, have you ever tried beating a Lisa in draft? It's it's impossible. Now, this doesn't mean you throw away all your prior knowledge of draft. This doesn't mean that you force black-white or that you force blue. Your first few picks can be ones where you can waffle a little bit. You can take power and then try to figure out what lane is open. So if you have the opportunity to take a bomb gold card, you can take that over Organ Hoarder. You don't have to try to impress anybody by being super resolved and taking Organ Hoarder over everything. There's also something to be said, right, about qualities, quality of decks. You can't really compare, like... Well, I guess you can compare them. They, they do work that way, but, like... A mediocre blue-black deck, taking Organ Hoarder, doesn't mean you end up in the best blue-black deck. You could mm. still end up in a mediocre blue-black deck. If you take Lisa and you end up in black-white, you will have a great black-white deck. Like, Lisa is just a phenomenal card. So, the card, like the overall deck quality of that particular blue-black deck, there has to be overlap, right? Like, there are blue-black decks better than blue-black... Uh, sorry, there are non-blue-black decks better than blue-black decks... That overlap. It just depends on the cards that actually make up the, each of those different archetypes. So I don't think that I, I think that kind of leads us back, circles us back, right? To don't force things unless it's objectively correct, like AFR or Quick Draft. Mm-hmm. There are occasionally times where it's correct, but your default should be take power cards in the first couple picks, see what lane is open, and move into that lane regardless of what colors are there. So as you continue to draft Midnight Hunt, just pay close attention to the humans drafting on either side of you. You might be able to set yourself up for a killer open seat at the table or, you know, just kind of up your signal reading game. Mm-hmm. And if you do all this stuff, uh, well, maybe you'll be part of the self-correcting format. Uh, now we know what it means. We know how to how to work within it. I guess the TLDR is uh, just keep drafting and uh, keep paying attention. Don't force stuff. Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Do check out the Discord if you haven't. 
And if you kind of stopped in but aren't really active there, you know, maybe maybe throw out a comment or give us some feedback. We do have a, a, a couple of feedback sections as well. And if you want us to talk about something specific, we even have a content suggestions channel on there. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely check the Discord out. And again, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Draft doctors, get those in. We'd, we'd love to have some more patients over there. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in that tier. Otherwise, um, any of the other tiers are awesome. And, you know, if you can't support us monetarily, we totally get it. That's that's cool. Maybe just spread the show around. Get, getting more listeners helps us out immensely as well. So, yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Um, if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter. You can find Ben at Betafish1, and you can find me not at Rannick Alfredian. I changed my Twitter handle. Whoa, what? That's uh, not allowed. Well, I did um, for some other like personal sort of social media related stuff that I'm doing. But you can find me at Zach E. Hackett, and that will be in the uh, episode description so you, you can oh, figure out how to spell it. How about that? Rebranding as myself, yes. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, folks. All right. I've got a few things I want to touch upon before we go. First of all, I'm going to be streaming on, uh, well, tomorrow, or uh, if you're listening on Friday when the show comes out. If not, uh, sorry you missed it. Maybe you'll see how I did, hopefully, uh, I posted about it in the Discord and it went well. Otherwise, uh, you can hop in and make fun of me from the future. Um, second thing, there have been some folks trying to get a commander pod or two going in the Discord. If you want to oh, hop yeah. in, do some of that. Uh, yeah, Zach and I are absolutely interested. We're, we're, we both moved recently. I, I think we probably have some new setups that we're excited to try out. And uh, it sounds like we have a handful of folks that are ready to get going on it. Uh, I do also want to shout out the... Uh, the Discord, I Hate Your Deck, uh, the I Hate Your Deck Discord. Apparently, they have EDH games popping off nonstop over there. So if you're looking for another place where you can go maybe a little more reliably than ours, we are mainly limited-focused after all. Uh, I recommend checking them out. Last but not least, uh, I am not, believe it or not, the biggest name in Magic going to be streaming this weekend. It's Worlds. Uh, that's going to oh, be exciting. Yeah. Wow, did you see the, um, the MTG Goldfish Twitter post, uh, poll, rather? That was like, did you know Worlds was happening this weekend? And like 80-something <laughs> percent of people said no. Yeah, that's a uh, good old yeah, I, saw, I saw there were some misspellings of certain pros' names or mixing Not up Not misspellings. Names. They completely just, yeah, they picked the wrong person. But yes. I think uh, I think it was Andre Strasky. They, they got one of his accent marks in the wrong place. And he oh. tweeted like, you could have just checked my bio <laughs> or like my name <laughs> or something. I, I was talking about the Yushiiko Ikawa thing. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, all, all a bit of a mess, right? I think the uh, the deck lists also leaked, which yes, is three days a bit early. embarrassing. I will say there's some dope deck lists up there, and I'm very excited for limited. Uh, I, I, maybe I'll try to avoid streaming directly on top of that. No, I, I guess organized play is a bit of a mess, but you know, worlds is worlds. It'll be exciting to watch, and uh, hopefully, you can root for your champion. Now. I will say, uh, on an entirely different level, sometimes all the grind of pro magic and high stakes limited, all this nonsense. Over the past few days, it's been nice to uh, play magic with some people who have never played before. And while there's upsides and downsides to that, I got to you know remind them to draw a card every turn and you know, talk about how tapping works and talk about what the stack is and all that all that jazz. Uh, I did get to see some pretty awesome stuff. Uh, one of my students today. Uh, 
seeing them realize that green could cast big stuff, they got to play a 10-11 a and then followed up with a Galta. And they were just having the time of their life. Um, now, uh, that same student, I gave them an intro pack that was graciously provided by the Bearded Dragon Games. Go go hit up the Bearded Dragon Games. Um, I gave them uh, a, a, a new player pack as well as a Kaldheim promo pack. And they open uh, a Goldspan Dragon. Uh, a a nice. stamped Goldspan Dragon. And we looked it up. It's like a $45 card right now. Oh, and wow. The, the oh, yeah, Dragons is Dragons is like a thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if they end up banning Chariot or Ren, I expect it to go up. Because right now, that Tree Folk token, that thing is keeping Goldspan Dragons in check. Now, <laughs> the, the the look on this dude's face, the, this student of mine, uh, when he was like, wait a minute. This is like a $50 card. We shook our heads like, yeah, yeah. It's like, so you're telling me I could sell this and buy more cards? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, oh, man, I got to go call my mom. <laughs> like, so some pretty classic stuff. Uh, another cool thing that I had happen, uh, I have a mono blue Delver deck. It's very basic. It's actually based on the... Uh, remember in last Innistrad, they printed... I think Insectile Aberration, and that flips into mm -hmm. like Final Form. And then they printed Docent of Perfection, mm -hmm. and that flips into God knows what. And it's like the whole Delver story. Mm -hmm. I made a mono blue deck based around that. It's got counter spells, it's got like brainstorm effects that put stuff on top. To Who stack are you? Your what Delvers. have you done with Den? I know, I know. I built it as like blue deck 101. I gave this to a teacher that's learning to play with the club. And I remember the look on her face when she she cast like telling time. It's like a scry type effect. Uh, it's like anticipate and scry combined. It's it's whatever. It doesn't matter. Where um, she got to look at some cards and decide which ones to put on the top of her library and which ones the bottom, and which ones her hand. Uh, and she was like, "Oh well, does it matter which I put on top?" And uh, this was turn two. And I was like, "Oh well." Um, what, what, what's going to happen with your Delver on your next turn? She did it on my end step. And she's like, oh, let me read it real quick. And she read it. And then she looked up and went, oh. And then went to her turn, revealed a counterspell, flipped Delver, and I, I lost three turns later. That's, that's <laughs> so. like double points because she revealed a counterspell, which makes you like have to try to figure out how to play around a counterspell and stuff. Props. Yeah. I was playing like some Naya Stompy with a bunch yeah, of cards. Of course you were. Yeah, it's it's like uh, in the old Alara um, uh, on Naya, the theme was five power creatures. So I was playing Naya five power creatures. There's some really fun ones. Wooly Thoktar is a menace, but uh, it doesn't yeah, have it, it was not nearly good enough to to to, to stop uh, a flip Delver, and she flipped another one like two turns later. So yeah, that that was a fast one. But you know, sometimes it's nice to remind ourselves that uh, the ultimate point of magic is to have fun, right?